My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The underlying premise of the whole weekend was, you know, how do you do the work now so that later on when you might feel emotional and your judgment might be clouded, you've done as much as possible to position for the worst outcome if it happens. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Wire program, Selena Kilkarni. In this episode, she tackles the uncertainty in our markets and shares case studies that can offer insight into how and when it may be best to make the tough decisions when it comes to your portfolio. Kilkarni held a conference in June 2022 that centered around the climate at the time and how it could potentially have significant ramifications for property investors. Neither Kilkarni nor I are financial advisors, so please take note this episode is not financial advice and you'll need to speak to your financial planner for advice that is tailored for you. The theme that we had over the weekend was um, headwinds and wealth building in, in high turbulence. Uh, there's no question that there's a lot of big things happening in the world right now and I think the ripple effects for those will definitely be um, significant and I think one of the jobs as an investor is how do you position yourself in that smaller group of investors who manage to um, ride the turbulence out and not be completely wiped out. Um, I think the the pressures in the economic environment that are intertwined with you know, a rising emotional state of many investors is actually creating a bit of a cocktail of um, stress that we may not have ever seen before in our life. So, um, you know, the underlying premise of the whole weekend was, you know, how do you do the work now so that later on when you might feel emotional and your judgment might be clouded, you've done as much as possible to position for the worst outcome if it happens. I think what I really, really took away from it was not only the great connections that, um, you know, I got to meet people who I've spoken to over the, the internet and video conference but also too how I guess people perceived what is happening in the market and, you know, seeing that there's opportunities to also uh, um, look at, you know, making improved positions on where they are because ultimately no one knows, you know, without a crystal ball, you don't know what's going to be you know, happening in the future of the market and it, it's making those 
tougher decisions to see, okay, should we be looking to pull back on something, not be so bullish on certain things, cashing up just to make sure that you've got some reserves because if things change, and, and this is what happened during COVID a couple of years back that no one knew that COVID was going to hit, but there was so much uncertainty literally that month afterwards and a lot of people lost their jobs. I heard a lot of friends who were saying, man, I'm really down to you know the last dollar. I've got to go and find some work somewhere. And sometimes, unfortunately, some investors just didn't have any cash buffer in place to be able to ride out what was going to happen. And who knows, you know, the market changed completely after about three or four months and just skyrocketed and things just improved. But we still need to have that kind of buffer in place for whatever situation was going to happen. And it seems like at this point in time, um, there's so much uncertainty with interest rates rising, government changes, economic world, yeah, changes as well too. So, did you want to sort of just talk a little bit more about that kind of side of things? Is I know there's so many predictors or people putting in predictions out there, but no one really knows. We talked about the um, how predictions are formed. Like some people use data to formulate predictions. People have theories, and then go and find the data that kind of supports those theories. And some people just make up predictions and then speak with authority. So. I think the reality is, unfortunately, it's the loudest voices that get the most kind of um, airtime and everyone is a guru um, with the benefit of hindsight. But, you know, we talked a lot about studies that have been done, which kind of verify out of, I think it was 25,000 kind of professionals that tried to predict who gets it right. And they found that it was just all, you know, completely random. So I guess the point is that if we don't actually know where things are going, the best we can do is actually look at where we are and then make decisions based on you know the information that we do have in front of us, rather than trying to predict um, you know with with absolute certainty. You know, there's definitely probabilities and things like that that we can talk about. Um, we talked a little bit about what is actually happening economically. And, you know, therefore, what do we need to do to, you know, hedge against worst case scenarios? And then can we sort of just, I guess, talk from a high level view from your perception? And, and I guess you had a lot of great insights into what is currently happening for people who may not know what's happening in the market if they're sort of hit on the rock. Maybe perhaps just to sort of give people an overview of what we've been seeing in the market at this point in time. This is currently, as, as we record, I should say, is June 2022. So... That will probably give a bit of context of when we are. I would actually say this was one of the hardest events I've ever um, had to prepare for because uh, in it was, all, it was really like opening lots of cans of worms and trying to digest, you know, dozens of videos, blogs, articles, opinions, and it was super, super hard. And in the end, I had to sort of throw it all out and step back and think, you know, like what what do our tribe really need to know right now? So the first thing that I, I kind of, you know, if I had to give you the top five things that are, you know, real right now is I think the first thing is, you know, the expenses of governments are way bigger than their revenues. Um, I think government debts are bigger than their assets and growing. Um, I think the government looks really wealthy, um, but they're actually pretty weak because they're spending so much. Um Number four was, you know, I think we've got the largest military conflict since World War II that's happening right now. And I think things with the supply chain and inflation are actually, um, you know, they're accelerating. They're not, they're not getting any better. So 
you know, it, I would say if you were going to try and understand what is, those sort of other principles. But I think, yeah, I think inflation is at a 40-year high. There is a very big war brewing. I think interest rates, um, the threat of interest rate rises. I think the US have come out and said they're going to do at least half a dozen over the next 12 months. Um, the commodity and share markets are already showing huge signs of volatility. Um, supply supply chain is limping and, and growth is slowing. So I think bottom line is I think consumers and investors are nervous. I think they're nervous. I mean, these are signs that are showing and it's like, I guess, <laughs> our human body. If we are running well and we, we're eating well and we're exercising, our body and mind is, is you know humming along really well. And that's what probably you can say that's sort of been happening in the last few years. Even leading up to COVID, we were actually humming very, very well as an economy and property prices were gradually climbing back up. And then as soon as we had a bit of a shell shock, which is possibly like a, a virus or flu in our body, then we start to fight against it and then it starts to show symptoms of runny noses, um, watery eyes, sleepiness tiredness all of those kind of things and it seems like that's kind of where we're seeing hat heading at this point in time i'm making a funny analogy here because i don't know couldn't think of any other ones but i guess if we're looking at it from that kind of point of view i remember there was somebody in the conference that, that you had a guest speaker talking about these were the, some of the signs and you even i think mentioned some of the signs in the economy showing that okay this is kind of where we're heading and i'm not asking for a prediction but like based on previous history we, we kind of sort of understand and, and see that these are some of the things we need to sort of think about preparing for. We, we don't have a crystal ball as we said, but what have you sort of provided to, I guess, us as a, as a group, as a tribe that we need to do to start preparing for this, not knowing what's going to happen? I think the, um, the context I would give all of this is I'm certainly not trying to be a doomsayer and say that, you know, everything's going to turn to crap. But I also, you know, if you look back over history and, and this is what, you know, the last weekend was was about, was really saying just because we've never experienced something in our lives doesn't mean it hasn't happened before. And I think um, if you believe that to some degree in the financial market, history is the study of surprises, um, people are actually pretty good at predicting what's predictable um, they're not good at predicting the surprises like the COVIDs and things like that. Um, so, you know, given what's happening in the market right now, um, I think it's prudent to have a high degree of caution about what you're doing. And, you know, if, you know, I'm always huge on, you know, tidying up the house, like from a, from a financial point of view, clean financial house, make sure you know what is where make sure you understand what's performing, what's not performing. Make sure you understand the prospects of every investment that you have. Um, make sure you're tracking it, all that good stuff. But when we're in a, a, a very buoyant market where the trend is just, you know, you can't put a foot wrong, people get a bit lazy about that stuff and, you know, they postpone difficult decisions and they um, maybe turn a blind eye to investments that they're carrying that maybe are underperforming. And I, I guess, you know, really one of the big things I was trying to drive home is now um, more than any time in the recent past is a time for you to not be ignoring your housekeeping around your, your wealth and to give it some attention because if you don't um, and something do big does happen in terms of, you know, something adverse, um, I think there are people that could really be in a lot of pain. 
I, I totally agree and hence the reason why it's so important to consider how can you put maybe cash reserves or buffers in place to be able to sort of mitigate this and there's no harm in doing it. Um, obviously, we would like to have all our funds invested in a fantastic market like we've just had a great run and no one likes to have cash sitting dormant or doing nothing. But as, as you said, with turbulent times coming ahead, which we don't know and any surprises, what do you think are additional things that we should consider to sort of prepare for these kind of things? What you've just described, the liquidity tension, I call it, like when times are really good, people feel bad about sitting on large sums of cash because they're like, oh, I should be in the market. I should be, you know, jumping on a deal. And, uh, you know, holding too much cash feels like lost opportunity cost. But I think the flip side to that is that even with inflation and, you know, with everything going on, cash can really be the ultimate insurance policy. Um, And I think right now holding a little more cash than usual is probably, um, you know, prudent. I think um, looking at your debt to value ratios, um, there's a lot of people who took advantage of, um, you know, more relaxed lending practices over the last couple of years. Um, And, you know, investment advisors will often teach you to maximise borrowings and refinance at every opportunity to buy more property. and I, I think if, if you're a, and this is a really important point, where you are on your investment journey makes a big difference about this stuff. If you're like someone like me and you've got the benefit of 20 plus years of, of investing behind me, um, then if the market took a haircut and like let's say dropped 20%, it's not really going to make a huge difference to me. Whereas if you're someone who's recently getting into investing and the market, you know, tanked or dropped significantly, that could really, really hurt you. So I think it's really important to recognize where you are on your journey and therefore if the market moved against you, how much damage that could potentially cause. Um, I'm usually such an optimist and so I, I sort of almost hate talking about this negative stuff, but you know, I, I know that there are people who loaded up with, you know, four to six investment properties in the last two years and they feel really good about it because, you know, they've made um, significant equity gains during that time. But they're also on a knife's edge if the market were to drop, not only would they lose those but potentially put themselves under massive cash flow stress, um, which is probably the more important thing. Um, we talked a little bit about the experience that people had during the Great Depression and, um, you know, it, it, it almost didn't matter how much capital you had, you know, what saved people or how people got by was, you know, cash and cash reserves. So having investments that, you know, are self-sustaining or deliver strong predictable cash flows is really, really important. Coming up after the break, we explore more of what Kulkarni shares during her conference. You know, one of the things I talked about was this idea of postponing pain. We delve into a case study that shows why resources, not appearances, are gold. And the challenge is like on the surface of it, they have an enviable property portfolio and they're doing really well. She outlines another case study that doesn't end like you may expect. So Janine and Mike had uh, a more modest uh, six investment properties worth about $4 million. 
and they had two properties that were clearly underperforming for various reasons. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey Property Investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1-2% to per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Moving on to case studies, Kilkani delves into Polly and Raj's portfolio. While their names aren't real, their situation certainly is. One of the kind of keys that we talked about on the weekend was, you know, you've got to make the hard decisions now while things, while you you know, your head is clear and you've got the time to actually take action. Um, you know, things like really questioning how much cash you should be keeping, um, looking at your leverage, um, and, you know, one of the things I talked about was this idea of postponing pain. And I think when times are really good, you can get away with carrying some dogs in your portfolio or underperformers or even assets with negative equity because you don't have to address it. But I think right now, um, you know, I, I think now is the time to be looking at those and saying, well, um, Yes, I might take a small haircut if I realise that loss or get rid of that dog, but it just reduces the pressure on me and stabilises my position massively. So the reason and the context for showing a a couple of case studies, and Polly and Raj, I'll describe them, but essentially was really just if you have that filter that, you know, maybe it's going to be business in my lifetime, Basically, everything, including the global financial crisis, was a blip in terms of the impact it had on the Australian economy. Um, In fact, if anything, it created vast opportunity in the alternative space, but in terms of the Australian property portfolio, it flatlined a tiny bit, but still nothing much happened. So in my life, nothing catastrophic from a financial perspective has happened, but I don't fool myself into thinking that it can't happen. And, you know, the the story of this couple was shown through the filter of, yes, there's a lot of pretty big stuff happening in the market right now. And I am totally against um, predicting with any certainty what will happen. But is there a chance that something pretty serious could happen? We we talked about, you know, the, the tax, the ATO tax debts and things like that. Like there's a lot of um, storms coming through. But with Raj and, and Polly, essentially they are a couple who own a very large um, portfolio of properties in uh, two-bedroom units in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, portfolio is worth about $19.2 million, um, had a debt of about 14 and were on an average interest rate of about 2.48. Um, their net rents was 63000 positive. So they're in the black but they were being forced to 
pay additional principal repayments of 144000 a year, which was taking them into the red. They had a fantastic business income of just over half a mil, but their lifestyle expenses were 400 to 450 and their cash reserves were only about 110. So when I put this up as a, like, these are real people, like in the context of everything that we're talking about, it becomes immediately apparent that there's some vulnerability there because they've got a reasonable amount of leverage. They've got very little cash flow. They're already carrying a negatively cash flowing property, even though it's, you know, in the black as far as technically. And this is something that I, I've heard people um, talk about across the board, this whole idea that the banks, because they're becoming more conservative, they're forcing people into higher and higher principal repayments. Um, so even where you've gone and negotiated a really great interest rate, if your principal repayments are really high, that can scorch your cash flow super fast. And even though I get that it's forced savings to pay down debt, um, it still can really hurt during a, a tough period, like if something happened to their business and they couldn't earn that money anymore. Um, you know, we, we don't have a lot of transparency here, but how quickly could they scale back their living expenses from the 450 down to something, you know, maybe half that? It's, it's huge. I mean, like, I mean, that, that seems to be a, a very, very nice lifestyle, I have to say, you know, spending that kind of money every month. That's like almost 20K a month. Um, yeah, more actually, sorry. It's like almost 40K a month, something like that. Yeah, so, wow. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's really discerning and, and there's huge risk for them because if, as you said, business changes, uh, rates go up, which means that they have to pay more towards to pay down their debt, um, what will they do? I mean, obviously, they can't go and find more business income just to sustain their life. So, they've got to actually make some really hard decisions and it sounds like they may have to do some personal reductions in terms of their lifestyle expenses, increase their cash reserves and potentially, you know, look at... Um, maybe even selling down some of their debt so that way they can actually pay down their debt as well. Yeah, I mean, the challenge is like on the surface of it, they have an enviable property portfolio and they're doing really well. Um, but as we looked back at um, some case studies for people around the Great Depression, which I think is the nearest um, equivalent of a massive fracture to the economy, there were people who were minting money and it just evaporated. And they were left in a situation where they just didn't have the resources behind them to to back it up. Um, so it's not so much that I'm showcasing them as, you know, people who have done the wrong thing, but potentially there's not a lot of uh, fat or cushioning in what they have. That's, I think, the key point that I got away from that is that making sure that no matter what times, if we, if we continue to have great times and, you know, the government comes in and prints more money as we talked about as well and you know the cycle happens again where it pushes prices up and things keep going then you know that that might i guess give a bit of comfort for people but if we do go through turbulent times and you don't have those cash reserves and you need to dip into somewhere to be able to fund whatever you're doing right now whether your portfolio your lifestyle etc then how much pain will that cause and what are the risks involved and that's kind of opened up my eyes to go okay gosh not that I wasn't paying attention, but I need to, you know, start thinking about 
should I have six months worth of emergency funds sitting along the side or 12 months, whatever it is, and just start thinking about, okay, how do I reduce my exposure to certain property investment opportunities that I'm currently involved in as well too. Yeah, you know what, Tyrone? I mean, this is really worth mentioning. At the beginning of COVID in March of 2020, I think the whole world got a taster of the fear of what it could be like if everything turned to custard. There was a period of about a month between when everyone thought, oh my God, the world is ending, the sky is falling, and then the government stepping in with the, you know, stimulus and support packages. There was a period of about a month where everyone was panic-stricken. And I guess the, you know, the point I'm making is that it's it was just a taster and we would hope that, you know, the government would always come to the rescue. But I just think we, we can't hang our hats on that. We don't necessarily know that that will happen. Oh, no, of course not. And, and that was the thing. I mean, as I was saying earlier, I had um, colleagues and friends that I was working with. And as I knew that I, I still had, you know, work come in and stuff like that. But as soon as COVID hit, their, their jobs contracts ended. And then, they, as I said, they, they only literally had like a week's worth of um, savings put aside. And they said, you know, they said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I'm okay. Not not to boast or anything, but I intentionally had cash reserves put aside, which I always do just for, you know, times like this. And, you know, I guess I'm quite cautious a lot of times, but just, I guess, for listeners out there who haven't had any cash reserves put aside and put all their money into investments, it's probably a good idea just to keep some cash reserves. And I've interviewed a number of property investors in the past on my show who have always said they've got at least six months worth of living expenses covered just sitting there just in case and it's actually I know it sounds like it's it's money that's not being utilized it sounds like you know it's just not being invested but it's actually a good thing to have there because it gives you a bit of buffer and certainty and that's what I think we all as investors really want is that certainty if anything does turn to custard will you be able to survive and get through this tough time and if you can't then that would be you know that your biggest risk. I think the thing we probably should have set up front as well, Tyrone, and I know I'm leaving it to the end, is yeah, we, we are not financial advisors. There is no uh, advice. Please don't run out and do anything rash. I think the uh, the big takeaway that I wanted to really drive home is, you know, are there any difficult decisions that you need to make about your wealth? Because if there are, do them now. Absolutely, and thank you for reminding us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we we love to share our own stories and it's it's um i guess just giving an insight in you know what we currently do and once selena said that's right we just got to make sure that um you seek your own independent advice as well one, one thing i do want to also add as well there was another case study that you mentioned um for janine and mike and I, I wouldn't mind just giving that comparison this is slightly you know from the other end of the spectrum and, and what you, I guess you've seen from that um, case study that might be also potential risks or things that they need to also try and consider, um, you know, that might be a tough decision they've got to make. Yeah, so Janine and Mike had uh, a more modest uh, six investment properties worth about $4 million, And they had two properties that were clearly underperforming for various reasons. One of them was being rented by a member of the family and was costing them about twenty thousand a year just to cover interest, um, but it was and it was about to revert from a one point nine eight fixed rate to a three point five percent variable. Ouch! That's twice. And then the second was they had a couple of properties in a mining town that, at its peak, 
um, was doing really well, but now they're worth two thirds as much and, and, you know, really bringing in rubbish cash flow, um, negatively cash flowing, but to sell them would be to realize a loss of 150, um, but would free up about 300,000 in cash. Their current cash reserves are less than 35,000 and they both have 2000 per week discretionary spending outside their bills. So that was kind of their story. Yeah, and and I guess I'm, and I'm not giving any financial advice here, but I'm I'm looking if from a less emotional state if they were in this point in time where the market hasn't turned or things have gone sour or you know really really turbulent times as such, it might be actually a good time to consider you know what can they potentially get for these properties without to free it up and that way take the burden off. Sometimes it's actually okay to let go of a dog or let go of you know a lemon. And you know, free that space because it does cause a bit of stress. You're thinking, wow, you know, it's negative cash flow. It's, you know, worth only a third. You keep that over your head sometimes, and it just affects you mentally. But once you let it go, imagine the headspace that you have, and you don't need to necessarily jump back into something straight away. But it frees your mind to go, okay, this potentially opportunity that I could look at down the track, and you're not restricted. So. I guess yeah, these these were very very good stories that um, or case studies that we had a look at, and note that these names are not real. Um, that these are real case studies, but the names we've had to replace for privacy purposes. Uh, but I think they really showed some good examples of what potentially people's lifestyles and people's um, portfolios look like, and how to potentially look at it from a different angle and, and mitigate some of the risks that we were talking about. You've raised some really good points, Tyra, and I think um, with this particular couple. They don't have a lot of cash reserves. Um, you know, they've held on to these properties that haven't performed. And, you know, as as someone who supports a lot of people in the wealth space, I, I don't think it's my job to ever be prescriptive. But it's definitely important that, you know, they see, you know, they, they can't do much about the property that, you know, the mum is in because, you know, that's family and they want to keep supporting her. But um, having an extra 300 in cash, um, and just realizing that loss and using it in the future could actually be uh, a sensible decision, but one of you know several decisions that they could consider. But yeah, their cash reserves being as low as they are is definitely a bit of a, a red flag. Totally. So hopefully we've shared um, quite a lot of things in this one. I think the main thing we wanted to just uh, guess give as a takeaway is really make those hard decisions now rather than later. I know you delay it, there'll be more pain down the track if things do turn. Uh, but at the same time, because people are less emotional because you've just gone through, say, a really, really very buoyant time of, of a couple of years of, of COVID um, coming out of that and so forth, it is an opportunity to start to review and, and consider, you know, what your situation is at this morning time. So obviously, go out, seek some independent legal advice and financial advice from people who you trust. And um, hopefully, you know, this episode also has helped you as well. Thank you to Selena Kilkani, our guest on this special episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. 
Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.